Good evening and blessings, and welcome to another installment of the Gist for Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Um, okay. my, my name is Scott Dwayne Young. Um, I'm the talk show host of Pull Your Pants Up on Wednesdays, 5.30 to 7 p.m., I'm a motivational speaker. I'm also the Northeastern Director of Certified Development Coaching Group, which is a mentoring program, which is in California, New York, Houston, Fort Worth, Dallas, Texas, Boston, um, Virginia, and Atlanta. And uh, we fight against recidivism and to reform, to take our empirical evidence and bring forth a different mindset to people to stop the recidivism rate of what's going on in this world. Um, me, myself, I did 22 years on a bogus murder case. I was given a life sentence. And the reason I was given a life sentence because I was stubborn and I was prideful and I felt I didn't need nobody and that I could handle it because there was no evidence and being that I didn't do it, you know, I felt that I could handle it. I didn't need to bother nobody else in life. But one thing that I learned in life that you need friends. You need people. You need people behind you. Because when you find when people feel like you're alone and that you have nobody, then they'll just think that you can be discarded or you can be mis abused or misused. And that's a sad thing to find out the hard way. And my mentorship comes from my ability not having nobody to mentor me when I was younger. So a lot of things that I did was through trial and error. I'm blessed because a lot of things in my life, and um, I'm going to give you a piece of that in a minute. I'm going to give you a story that um, maybe only a handful of people ever heard. I'm just going to give it to you and let you visualize it in, in form. I, I really don't tell it too much because it, it, it's emotional for me because it's a part of me dying, literally dying, being pronounced dead, DOA, or DOA, dead on arrival. In 1988, during my trial and error and not having no mentorship, I became a very big-time drug dealer in Dallas, Texas. I didn't come, become a drug dealer because of the diamonds, rubies, and that. It was because of necessity. Good evening. You know, I went through and I, you know, tried to find a job and it was always come back tomorrow. We don't have that today. And when you have a lady that's pregnant and a roof need to be put over the head to keep a roof over the head, you know, you have to do what you have to do. And um, just because of my leadership characteristics, which I really never understood, you know, until I got older, because a lot of things that come to us, we just take it for granted. But we never understand that God is always guiding our footsteps, whichever way we go. And um, 
I got into it with some dirty officers, some dirty police that was taking my money from me. They never called me with anything. They were just taking my money because they knew what I was in, but they wasn't sure. And um, I got angry about it because it was like, you never caught me doing anything, but you're, you're shaking me down. You're taking my money. And um, I was a very hard-headed young man, and I didn't care. And we got in the shootout. And um, me personally, I figured it was just a few people, but it was like eight people against me. And um, I lost. You know, I got hit, you know, three times with different kind of shotguns. I got bird, pheasant, and um, a buckshot in my body. I, got seven, I had 78. I got 74. Four came out. I got hit with a 357 in my foot. Blew all the muscles out of my foot. I hit through my thigh with a 338 that went clean through, and God bless, never was anything there. And even through all of that, um, I, um, I still ran and I'm going to show you how God works because he came through and he guided me not to the, um, not to the laundromat, not to the game room where it was dark. He guided me to a place where I was safe, which was a barbershop that I went and got my hair cut at every week. And it was the craziest thing. And everybody was saying, hey, man, what's up? Because they see me, you know, every week there. And I never spoke. And it's like God guided me. I've been in this barbershop like a hundred times and never thought about these people having a bathroom. And God guided me straight to the bathroom. To the, and I sat down on the toilet. And I was like uh, sitting there, and the guy came, and he was like, hey, man. And he said, was like, oh, my God. He was like, yo, don't move. I was like, man, I just want some water because it was in June. It was hot. And he was like, you ain't getting no water. I said, man, I need me some water. And um, that was the last thing I remember. And the next thing that came to my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm floating, and I'm watching, literally watching these ambulance attendants working on my body pressing my chest, putting air or oxygen on my face, and all that. And then I blacked out again. And the next time I remember, they was putting me in like a tube, like, you know, um, on Incredible Hulk when they put you in that tube and whatever. And uh -huh. I was like, I'm gone again. And then the last time that I remember, well, not the last time, but the next time I remember I was laying on, operating table and there was a nurse standing there and she was crying had her back to me and I said what you crying for and she screamed and jumped and said he's talking so you know me Leslie you met me yesterday I'm a clown I said yeah I've been talking since I've been about 18 months you know <laughs> so everybody running the room you know they, they messing with my eyes they messing with me you know and I'm shaking my head like get off me what's wrong with y'all you know but I never realized until later that wasn't nothing moving from the neck down, you know. And um, then I blacked out. And the next thing I remember, you know how you lived in your mom's or your grandma's house for so long and you can walk through the house without cutting on lights and you know that you're passing from 
the kitchen and well, the bedroom into the living room to the dining room to get to the yes. kitchen. You know how you pass right. through the doorway. And that's what was happening with me. I was walking through doorways. And when I came to the light, that's when I woke up and I was in the hospital. And um, that's what the light meant to me. Me passing through doorways, and when I came to the light, I came awake. Just to visualize, you know, that again, it touched me because I understood that God was there with me. I even understood before that incident that God was with me. But just like disobedient children, when the parent tells you not to do certain things, we got to test the water because we think we got, the, we got the answer. We think we got the answer. And we don't got the answer. When you saw the light, you came to? Yes. You physically woke up at the hospital? Yeah, when I woke up in the hospital. It's like, you know, say you in the house, your mother's house, and you can walk through it at 3 o'clock in the morning going to the bathroom. And say your room is in the back. So you got to pass through the living room, the dining room, you know, and probably go by the kitchen to get in the bathroom. And the door is closed, right. but if you open up the door and somebody left the light on, like that, when the light uncovers you, that's when I woke up. Just, just on that, that mental stage right there, that picture. And that's how it was right. for me. When you woke up, who was there? Who was the first person that you saw alongside the bed, the hospital bed? My my I I had at that time I had like <laughs> I called them my seven little boys. They were like fifteen up to like seventeen, and um they was my little uh-huh. my little crew, and it was three of them in the room. They was my my my, my I called them my 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 tray piece, and it was the three of them, the main ones, and they were there, and they was walking back and forth like little lions. You know what I'm saying? And when I woke up and I said uh-huh. something, they stopped and looked. And the first thing out of their mouth, who we got to get? That's all I want to know. I said, no, just be easy. And, like, about a half an hour later, my mother came. She came from New York. She flew to Dallas, Texas, and she came. And the craziest thing was that my mother, I just found out, like, two months ago, that my mother came because I was pronounced dead. What? Yeah. She didn't come because I was shot. My mother came because I was pronounced dead. And um, but by the time she came, I had kind of gotten up and had my little IV rack and walking a little bit, you know. Cause um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna give you an example of my injuries. I had six, mm-hmm. 38 stitches in one arm, 38 in the uh, 30 in the other one. So all together, I had 68 staples and stitches in my forearms. I had a bullet went a shot through my heart. I have one in my lung at this present time. I had a fracture to my skull. And my left eye was closed because I thought I lost it because I got hit in my nose. And you know how you get hit in the nose and your eye black, but it closed my eye. So I thought I lost my eye. That happened instantly. I lost that sight. I thought I lost the eye. Shoot. And um, then um, I had got hit in my um, testicles and my in, in my private parts. So I had 15 staples and stitches in that area also. 
So um, I couldn't hardly even walk. So wow. it was, yeah. And now, so, is your mother a praying woman? Is she a, a member of the church? You know, what, yeah, what do you attribute your survival to? You know, my whole God. family, I, I was brought up in the church. I tell people, you know, and they don't believe me, but I was brought up to be the next Martin Luther King. And people think I just say that, but I'm, I'm truthfully telling that as the truth. I stayed in the church. I Bible study, uh, going in on Saturday, cleaning the church, getting it ready for Sunday, and uh, choir practice. I'm on the choir, the, the whole nine, just all of that. Every day I was in the church. On Sundays we go to we go to church at, at 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 like you know back then church started at nine or something, and we'd be in the church all the way to six, seven p.m. at night. And if we went to Another church, you know how that went. You know, you like to get home 10, 11 o'clock at night after coming and visiting at the other church following the pastor. So it was a a, a very thing. My grandfather ended up being a, a preacher. Um, my aunt, a preacher. My mother's an evangelist. My mother just graduated yesterday with her doctorate in the theology. And... Um, She's also police clergy for the thir uh, 75th precinct, and um, it's just in my wow. family a lot of you know, just 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 the, the 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 religious part, you know. So right. the whole thing is right. like now, you know. Go ahead. I can tell that now. Um, yesterday, and I hear all the little children in the background. Yesterday, yeah. a little boy and ran to you and leaped on your, your lap, and then he grabbed a hold to your cross that was around your neck. Can you tell the audience a little bit about that encounter? And he asked if you went to church, and um, I just thought that was a beautiful moment. I took a picture of it, of the two of you, and I shared it on Facebook. And before you answer that question, tell the audience and myself uh, the noise. Explain to us the background noise. It sounds like you're around a whole lot of little children. <laughs> well, I'm going to explain that first. I'm the the uncle. No matter where I go, I always have the kids gravitate to me. I don't smoke. I don't drink. So my thing is the concern for the kids. If I'm somewhere and something happens to a kid, it, it'll drive me crazy. And my passion is for the kids to teach them to be respectful to each other and how to connect with each other and respect each other. Because, see, that gravitates into your later years in your life. When you learn when you're young to respect each other, to share your ball, to share your bike, to share your scooter, you know, because one day you might not have your scooter and you want somebody to share it with you. It's you give what you want. I always tell them that. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And I got my godson out here, his sister, my neighbor's son, and my other neighbor's son. So I've been watching them. And they said, when I go inside, send them inside. So I told them, as long as I'm on the radio show, I'm outside, you know, enjoying the fresh air. Until then, they got to go inside. But um, that's <laughs> me and the kids. You know, if, no, if somebody, you know, my father used to do that for me before he passed away. My father passed away at 11. And the greatest time in my life was when my father came and took us to the park and just let us run around like we ain't have no scruples. 
and then afterwards he would take us to get ice cream or take us into the bike store or the toy store, which they don't have anymore, and, um, uh-huh. you know, and let us just get whatever, a water gun or, or the little old-school rocket that you pump up with water and shoot up in the air, you know, just something. The little things that we appreciated, not the iPads and all the $300 stuff you buy in these kids these days that's not giving them no education, you know, and just games being played on or that they don't appreciate. When they get tired of it next, next year or the next six months, they want the next game, you know. Right, we right. didn't have that. So my whole thing is tradition, family, right. family first. I don't care. You don't have to be my blood. You don't have to be my blood because, see, that's what's missing in our neighborhoods now, love for your neighbor's kid as well as your own. You have to treat them the same way. Don't wait till something happen to your kid and then want people to understand your pain. Stop the pain before it happens. So if I'm going to talk that talk, I have to walk that walk. And that's just the God honest truth. So when we're dealing with life, we are teaching mm-hmm. our job to teach the youth how to be better, how to get around. You got people out here, right. oh, that kid, I heard him cuss the other day. He a bad little boy. He might have cussed that day because he might have been mad. But it's a way for you to tell him that he know better, that in a parental way, that he can't do nothing but respect that as, as uh-huh. a parent. Everybody has it in them. My mother's 70 years old, be 70 in October, and I won't even cuss in front of my mother. You know, I, I, she's my mom, my aunt. I got, my grandmother has 16 kids, eight boys and eight girls. I got two aunts and an uncle that's younger than me. And I still call them auntie, and they tell me, you don't have to call me that. I said, you're my aunt. Regardless right. of what out you feel really and how you feel. You know? Yeah, and out of respect. Right. I said, so it ain't right. nothing different. So it's, it's, it's what needs to be taught. Because if you have no self-respect, you don't know how to respect nobody else. And that's just the God's honest truth. Um, what was the second part you wanted me to explain to you, dear? I forgot myself. I forgot. I, 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 I know it was something to do with the little, the little oh, boy with the cross. Okay, I live. I, I'm going to tell you our story. Alil's mother, when she was got pregnant, she was, you know, I was going to the radio station like every day because I lived in the area in East New York. And I would go over and make sure the radio was running right and everything. I was doing Cecilio's job. And, and when she was pregnant, I used to always talk to her, you know. And most people think she got an attitude, this and that. But some women... Men have done them so bad that, you know, they're afraid to love. The pain is so hurtful that they're afraid to put it back out there. And I understand that. And I used to always just speak with her and tell her, she going, how y'all doing? Not her, y'all, because she's carrying a new life and something beautiful in her belly, and she's bringing it forth into this world, this wicked world that we live. And when he was born, it was like, I always asked her to see him, and she'd bring him out, and he always used to just look at me, and I always talked to him. So I watched him grow, and then last year I seen him at the family day, and he had grown up, and we kicked it a little bit. And then this year at family day, we, um, 
we kicked it. I was with him. He got his little bike out. He had his Captain America helmet and everything, his knee pads. You know, she, she had him ready. And he was trying to ride his bike, right. so what I did, I was just pushing him along through his back, and we having fun. And then I went and bought my, my partner came through. He does a little uh, street stuff with the little poppers and balloons. I bought him a balloon and two boxes of poppers. And he was the only kid on the block that had poppers. And, boy, he just had a fit with all that. He just had a ball. And it was just, uh, it, it, it was, we just had a good time. And it's like we just gravitated to each other. And he, he ate, he wanted something to eat. He asked me for it, you know, and he ate hot dogs and chips and he wanted soda. Just everything that he wanted, you know, he, he came through me. And then we took uh, little pictures and stuff. And it's this cute. I'm going to um, post a picture, repost the picture up there. It's on, um, I posted it, but I'll repost just that picture of me and him. And um, yesterday right. was the first okay. time I saw him since then. So now I wanted to get back with, with the cross that he was playing with, and he asked you, did you go to church? And I thought okay. that was fascinating. Now you said you were raised in the church. And, you know, when you go to the church today, unfortunately, it's like 90% um, filled with women. And there's very, there's very little churches that have a strong male presence and the presence that includes strong black men. What do you okay. think is the problem with the church? Why can't they recruit men and keep the men in the church? strong black man like yourself. How did you, okay. you know, what made you leave the church? And and if you left, when did you return? You know, I'd like to get your advice. If you could just tell the preachers of today what went wrong and how they could have saved you. Okay, my, my, my leaving of the church happened about the age of 14. Being that I lived, was in the church, I watched, I saw firsthand the things that went on in the church. You know, uh, you know the, the, the intimacy between, you know, people of the church that didn't have no business interacting with other people of the church. You know, they're supposed to be mentors and all of that. So I've seen that, and I didn't like that. I knew at that age what was wrong and what was right. And I watched, you know, the, the the pastors and the people of the church, everybody got Cadillacs or, you know, Monte Carlos and everything, and you got these elderly women that's coming through here riding a bus to come hear your word every day, and y'all ain't even got a van to go pick them up. So I kind of got right, a bit of right, that. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I got very that. And I said, I don't Do need think to go to I'm sorry, Scott. I'm excited what? about this. But do you think that you had a Jesus moment where you felt like just picking stuff up and throwing them out? And do you feel that way today? My, you know, they say, you know, the, the greatest of us come out of the worst of us. Because, and, and I say that to say this, that I know there's a God. Nobody, I don't care what you say, can tell me anything different. I've walked that walk. 
I've heard him speak to me. He showed me things that would happen that happened. So nobody can tell me anything different. But my whole thing is that I realize that if I would have had somebody just to tell me that people of authority could not mistreat me just because they were in authority, that everybody has somebody they have to answer to, and that everybody has a supervisor, my life would have been a whole different thing. So if I can help anybody not go through the trials and tribulations and the hurt and pain that I went through, that's what I promised God I would do. And if I can't keep the promise to God, then who can I keep the promise to? You understand what I'm saying? So my whole thing is that I have to be better than the next person. I can't worry about, oh, well, they ain't doing it. ain't none of my business. No. Because you have a lot of people that are sitting on their behinds right now watching and waiting for to see what the next person do instead of stepping up. Each one teach one according to one's knowledge. And everybody got to do their part. If you ain't doing your part, then you're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. And that's part of the program that being implemented with CDCG, which is Certified Development Coaching Group, .net. And um, we're not talking about the problem because everybody know what the problem is. I don't care if you're Asian, uh, uh, Jewish, whatever. Everybody has their problems. But it's a way that you control the problems and how they they take care of it. You think everybody in the Asian community like each other? No. But what it is, they all work together for the betterment of the good for the whole. They put their pettiness aside for the whole of the community. And if mm -hmm. we did that, the power that we weld would be so Oh my God! It would it would just be so dramatic and, and 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 powerful that we couldn't be stopped, you know. Right. So I I I know I got to do my part. I'm not going to talk about it. And see, one thing that I learned is that a like a track alike, and what I mean by that is people of like mind will gravitate towards you when you're doing what needs to be done. And most people that can't do it will live their vision and their dream through you because they see that you're doing what they always wanted to do but never stepped up to do. So sometimes right. it takes somebody to start the fire, you know what I'm saying, for people to throw wood on it and make a blaze. Mm -hmm. So um, okay. that, that's why well, that is I'm a passionate. serious story. I, I appreciate you sharing um, that story. That personal story, um, your your out of body experience, your you know what happened to you. Um, now, at which point did you turn your life around and say, you know what, I've been shot, I've been in prison, you know, uh, I want to do something different. I'm I got to change. When did that happen? That happened in prison. That happened in prison. Because when after I got shot, I, w I told you, I was, I was out of control. All I thought about was revenge. Y'all shot me? 
y'all crazy. Boy, look, y'all was in trouble. You understand what I'm saying? And then I had a dream. And in the dream, God showed me that I would go to the penitentiary in prison where there was a female warden and that I would not get out until I was in my 40s. And the dream happened. I got locked up in 1988. I went to Tennessee Colony and was on uh, what they call a farm that had the first female warden ever in Texas history. And I was there. I went in at 22, and I didn't get out to 44, so half my life. And the anger was there because I didn't do what I did to get there. But then God had another plan for me. See, the plan that I had for me didn't matter. He had a plan for me. And he knew until I learned to mature and learn, I learned patience. I learned to hold my temper. And I learned that everything ain't about me. Because, I, I listen, I was, a, I was a millionaire on them streets. I didn't wear the same clothes every day. I just wore the same sneakers because I when I get comfortable with them. But every, new clothes every day. Everybody in, in my neighborhood wore new clothes because I gave them away after I wore them. Everybody. And they knew wow. me as that. And people knew me. They used to call me um, <laughs> Marshall Mad Illin. You know, like Marshall Mad Dillon, you know, the Marshall from oh. the Cowboy. So they used to call me okay. Marshall Mad Illin. And that meant you, you couldn't come in this neighborhood with no garbage. You're going to get run out of here or carried out of here. One of the two. You can make it easy on yourself. Go on, move around. So I sat there one day and I said to myself, I said, you know what? I said, if I made as much money as I did on the wrong side of the road with the anger that pushed me, Imagine what I could do on the right side of the road if I ever had that opportunity. Now, another part I haven't told you is that God gave me so many skills that it's, it's, it's crazy. I have a memory that's outstanding. Um, I can draw. I can paint. I can write poetry. Um, I got a little acting skill. And I'm an avid reader. Knowledge, I soak it up. I loved every subject in school. There was none that I didn't like because knowledge behind everything. Now, um, Scott, let me just get back to let me let's let's just get back to your epiphany. How old okay. were you, and what happened? What triggered this moment while you were in prison that you just said? I know you said you had a dream. You know, you know what happened? How old were you when you had the dream? Did you have this dream in prison? And did no, your cellmate? The cellmates and, you know, did the people around you notice a, a major difference in your personality once you made made up your mind that you were going to walk the straight and narrow path? Well, I'm going to tell you, me personally, I went to the job that I had at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I didn't get off until 4 in the afternoon. I worked 14-hour days. That's how I did my time. And I said that to let you know that my time, thinking about the clock and 
what tomorrow was going to bring was not a focus. If I would have focused on that, I would have went crazy. The only time that I knew a new year was coming in was when Thanksgiving and Christmas came around. That's when I started taking notice that things were changing. But before, I, I never watched the clock. I never watched the dates. I knew when the months changed so I could, you know, fill out my paperwork with, you know, the right month. But I didn't focus on that. If I would have focused on that and understood that I did two decades in two, I would have been crazy. I would have went crazy. But I can't tell you when the change came. All I understood is that when people needed some information or they needed some inspiration, they came to me. You know, they called me New York. Yo, New York, man, man, my moms ain't come to see me. You know, um, man, I'm ready to go off, you know. And I'm just, and I tell them, no, look here, what that going to get you? Then you're going in the box. And if she do come see you, she got to see you through the screen, the chicken wire, the bars. You can't touch her. And I just started doing that. When they was using the N-word with each other like it was so cool, which it, it killed me when I heard it because they didn't understand how many people got murdered, dragged, hung, and beat to make people stop calling you that or respect you enough to let you vote. And I told them, I said, the reason y'all use that word is because you don't pay no price for it. And they said, what you mean by that? I said, I'll tell you what, every time you use the word, you owe me 25 push-ups. And I wait, be sitting behind them, and they be using it, and I wait till they get about to 200. I said, yo, you owe me 200. And their friends started laughing at them. And I said, you think it's funny? You think you could do it? Yeah, I could do it. And it just became where... Everybody got into it, and the N-word started being eradicated because they started paying for it. Push-ups. You got to do 200 push-ups right there. It don't matter if it's in the hallway, the shower, day room, on the run, anywhere. Right there. I want them now, wherever I call it. And in a way, that's kind of embarrassment in front of your homeboys. And then, you know, you got, you know, all kind of different factions, you know, gang members and stuff, and they're seeing... And they're like, man, what's that right there? You know, and then it just spread to everybody. And then I start telling them, y'all in these gangs, what are y'all doing fighting each other for a color? For what? Y'all have enough problems as it is. And there's plenty of people, hundreds of people that I watch never make it back to where I was. And, you know, this part here, I tell you, and the God's honest truth, there was a time that I never thought I would put my feet on concrete ever again. When they told me they gave me a life sentence, that's what I felt, my life. And I never thought I would be walking these streets, doing what I'm doing today. And when I got to my 21st year, I talked to God. And I told him, I said, God, if you allow me to be free, that anybody that I can help not go through what I went through, I will do that. And not even 30 days later, I got parole. And I say that to say that my time in my mind is a whole lot different than you know, other people, how they did their time.
because I already know what would have made me angry. Was I angry? Yeah. For my first eight years, I fought for every day. I fought every day. My first eight years. I'm not going to lie to you. Every day, I was just that angry. Every day, I had a fight. I didn't care. You couldn't look at me wrong. You couldn't even breathe on me wrong. And as I was started maturing, even the officers started saying, yo, you've changed a lot. They, I got in the incident, and they sent me down to the the, the end, which they clo call closed custody, where it's supposed to be the worst of the worst, whatever. And I got down there, and I see why these youngsters was upset. People would say to the officer, I'm having a problem with my cellmate, and they would spray them with gas, with the chemical gas. Just spray them and be laughing about it. But you're down in the corner. Don't nobody want to come down there because they feel like you're a bunch of clowns and you're going to act stupid, so we ain't worried about you. So once I started seeing that, I just had a meeting in the day room with all the OGs from the Bloods, the Crips, the Disciples, the, the Aryan Nation, and the Mexican Mafia. I said, look here. Until y'all make a stand, they're going to keep disrespecting y'all. I said, I'm going to write a grievance up about what's going on, and everybody on here copy. I, it was 350 grievances that went off. Hold on one second. Get back up there. Um, that went out off of that block that day. They had to come on the block to pick up the grievances because there was too many to fit in the box. And the next morning, the warden called me into the captain's office. He said, look here, we know it's you that's writing these grievances down here. And I said, so? He was like, man, we don't want no heat. I said, listen, your officers quit disrespecting these people, spraying them like they bugs with this chemical agent and beating them up and disrespecting them, you won't have no problem. But I know, and people will tell you, I have people with empirical evidence that I made a change in a whole lot of them people's lives. I changed their gang thought process, minds, you know, that was given to them. Because, see, you can't blame people for what they know when they only taught what people taught them. Like I told you yesterday, if... In my household, when they cook, they just take the food and throw it on the table and everybody do a free-for-all and just start stuffing stuff in their mouth. That's how I know. That's how I grew up. But if I come to your house and everybody's sitting there with a plate and a spoon and a bowl and all of that and they eating, I'm looking at y'all like y'all crazy because that's not what I know. That's not what I know. And it was what I brought, the way I was brought up, you understand what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is that we we have an obligation to these youth. We have an obligation to ourselves. We have an obligation to our elderly. And also they have an obligation to each other. The elderly is also. Most people don't know the highest age population in the world right now is the elderly. People don't know that. The highest HIV population in the world right now is the elderly people. And 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 we have to realize why is that? So my change can only bring about a change. If I don't try to change, then what happens? I'm going to stay the same. So when I look at these young boys coming outside, coming from playing ball right now, you know, and 
doing what they do. I tell them all the time to keep, you know, um, keep ID on them, you know, because the police want to put them away. They want to lock them up. They want they want them to be their slaves, legal slavery in the penitentiary. The biggest commodity in the world right now is the penitentiary. People don't know that. So, what's your next question, my dear? Hello? I'm here. I'm here. I had you on mute for a second. And I wanted to okay. ask you the, the, the next to last question before you, um, you know, give us your poem, because I'm looking forward to hearing the poem. Um, the, the next to last question is, do you think we should train our youth to become police officers in our community? Do you think that would be a major solution to yes. the problem we have with the police shooting yes, on our black men? Mm-hmm. Because I'm 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 gonna tell you why, and I'm gonna show you why. Mm-hmm. To make a change, you have to get. You can talk about change. If 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 I'm in the store and I'm buying something and it's no good, and I tell the man it ain't no good. But he tell me, always oh, good, you need to buy it, or you bought that because you got it in your hand. If I allow him to force me to do that, then he's taking my liberty from me. But mm-hmm. what I do, I come outside and I speak to the people and tell them, don't buy nothing in there. We have to stand together. They're selling rotten food, blah, blah, blah. I have to be about that. And the only way that we can change the police, the police see, you're touching on a subject that I've done. I've went to mm-hmm. the 750, I've went to the 34th uh, Transit Police and the 32nd Transit Police, and I've spoken to the police in roll call. And I tell okay. them, this is exactly what I tell them. There was rookies. Mm-hmm. I said, you have the obligation to make a change. You have action at making a change. You don't like what's going on and what was so good about it was like three of them was Indians, like from, you know, India, Mm -hmm. two blacks, um, a few Asians, you know. And I said, y'all don't like what's going on? Y'all have the obligation to change that. I said, if you didn't have your police uniform on, people wouldn't know who you were. I said... Do you think people listen to Doc Bruce Banner, Clark Kent, or Bruce Wayne when they're talking? No. It's when they turn into Superman, Batman, and the Hulk when people start rocking and want to get back and say, whoa. So that's the same thing with the suit. The suit carries a stigma and an image with it. But you can change that image. I told him. I told them there was a time when children used to run to the police. Now the children run from the police. I said, so think about that. Right. You're going to make a difference right. or you're going you to be part of the solution or you're going to be part of the problem. And what it is is that they don't, they, they don't got so hood out here. Snitches get stitches. And uh, uh, if you're messing with the police, you're, 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 you're an informer, you know, the mindset. But you got to understand that these people are the same people that's allowing you, the ones that's doing their job, to sleep in your house at night without getting your door kicked in and coming in there and getting murdered. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. So they have a deep... Hey, I know a lot of police officers. 
and there's a lot of them I like. And there's a few of them that I know for a fact are racist, that are bad. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, but you have to um, do better than that. You um, Give me mm-hmm. one second. My, my godson mm-hmm. and I here rapping on the concrete and. You know, I don't. I already put him in the house one time. I had to let him come back out. <laughs> okay. So when you come back, just give us a little poem, and then we're gonna wrap it up. Okay. One second. Okay. All right. So we're talking to Scott Young out of uh, Brooklyn, uh, East New York. He is a host of Pull Up Your Pants. Um, you can hear him on TNL Radio. Dot com. That's for Tendon Lover, Love and Care Radio. Um, dot com. Uh, Scott Young is a survivor of the prison industry. Um, he's a survivor of all the things that are bad in um, our neighborhoods and some of our urban neighborhoods. He is reformed. He is a former churchgoer. His mom is a minister. She received her doctorate degree in theology just yesterday, and he was raised in the church, and he left the church at the age of 14 and turned to the streets. And the streets led to him being shot several times and in prison for 22 years. Now he is out of prison. Um, He's an activist. He's working um, with the youth. The little children love him. The noise he's been hearing in the background is uh, noise from the children from his neighborhood who he happens to um, be the uncle of the neighborhood and he watches the children uh, play safely. He makes sure that they have a place to play safely. And this is a a former uh, uh, inmate. So we want to support people like Scott Young. We want to support them before they turn to the street. We want to know what's going on. Uh, He said that he was uh, in church, and at the age of 14, he became disgusted with the behavior, the poor behavior of the the members, and he turned to the street. So he's here back on the line, and he's going to come back. Right. So, Scott, give us a poem on your way out of this show. Yes. And for the y'all that don't know, my name is Scott Young. I'm on Pull Your Pants Up on Wednesdays on TANDLradio.com on the World Wide Web from 5.30 p.m. to 7 o'clock p.m. I'm also known as the Word for the Day Guru, which you're about to find out why. I'm outside, so y'all know I ain't writing it down, so if you're recording this, you better get it because I, I can't repeat it. It's off the top of my head. So I'm going to do this now. We're going to do something like this. Sometimes we walk the world looking for that one wish. I was invited on the show by Leslie Giss. Yeah, I understand the things that I went through make me who I am today. But I can't walk that walk and not talk that talk and just say it's okay. Mm, Yeah, this is off the top of my head. If you thought I wrote it down, then you need to go lay down in your bed. Because this is the truth of how I lived and I died. How I made people angry and how a lot of people cried. 
how I came to realize that I could change people inside. And I came out here to show the kids that they can live and live live. I love the children. I love people who have knowledge and understanding the self. Stop wasting your brain power. Open up the closet door and take your brain off the shelf. Dust it off, blow it off, and get it right. Because I'm here on Leslie Get Show tonight to let you know that anything that you can do, you got to do it and keep it tight. The word for the day, Guru, that's who I be. Powerful, powerful. Congratulations. Thank you. That was awesome. And, Mr. Guru, you have some callers on the line. One of them um, is someone I was supposed to interview yesterday, and he didn't call in. And uh, (laughs) he is also a survivor of the prison industrial um, system. And he is a poet as well. So, James, I see you on the line, but I'm going to take the other caller first, 470, area code 470. If you want want to say something, please feel free. If you're too shy, we'll move on to James Laquette. Hello, 470, area code 470. You're on the line? Yes, yes I, I just got in. I um, just um, speak. <laughs> Shari, uh, that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. What up, Shari? Hey, people. How you doing, man? I'm good, bro. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Do you have a comment or a question? Or you just want well, to show I your just, love for your your friends? Oh, yeah. I was just calling in support for him. But, um, because I said I just got in. I, didn't, I don't know what the topic was. Anything was going on. Um. Okay. He just told me that he was going to be on the on the uh, show. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for calling. All right. We're going to put James Laquette on the line. James, um, you have a lot in common with Scott Young, and I want you to tell me what do you think of this powerful, powerful poem he just put together. Well, um, I just I just got on. But from what I hear, I like. And uh, I think me and the brother need to sit down and we need to talk. Because it's some work we can do together. I like I like what you spit, baby. Well, you know, it only comes from the heart, you know. Um, and um, we do I need to talk. I see that. You don't write nothing down. It just came off the top of your head. I don't write like that. Um, it takes me. I got to think about it for a while. It takes me a while. <laughs> but I like yeah. that. I like what you do. Yeah, that's a gift now, from God. Now, James, James yeah. um, quickly, because this is this young hour, but I just want you to tell him how you came out of the prison system and the reform and how I met you in the church, that the church okay, is, well, is helping you. Okay, well, I came out of the prison system um being a counselor, because I said the only thing I know and the only thing I could do with my talents is become a case counselor. And from there, I came to the church, um, the Coming Home program. And um, right now, I'm working my way back to prison because I feel that, like, a brother came in and gave me a lecture and a bell went off in my head, light went off in my head, and I want to do that for other people. And that's where I feel our biggest population is, and we need to see the light. 
All right. Well, I want to thank you, James, for uh, giving Mr. Young, Scott Young, a compliment, and we will be talking soon, James. Yes. But, um, um, give him my information. Let him give me a call. We need to talk. All right. Okay. I'll do that. And, thank uh, you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, James, I mean, uh, Mr. Scott, Scott Young, are you still on the line? Scott? Hmm. Okay, we lost Scott. I was going to ask him to say uh, a parting word, but his poem was fascinating. Please support him on his radio show on Wednesdays on tnlradio.com. tnlradio.com is the radio station. You can hear him on Wednesdays. He's back. And I just want to thank you again, Scott. Uh, you know, give us your parting words, your blessings, and we'll call this show a day of a wrap. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I'm grateful because, you know, we have to start using the venues that we have to get out what we mm-hmm. need. And we need to let people know because there are people out there that don't know that we're here. So now that they know we're here, that the movement can move. Mm-hmm. When I say the mm-hmm. movement, I ain't about no, no uh, guns or nothing. We, I'm talking about the mental movement, the changing of the mm-hmm. attitude and the changing of the thought. You know, like you said, we need to get the people in these places. We need to get these youth up in these congressional seats. You know, how many people mm-hmm. sit up in these for 30 and 40 years, and we're still going through the sad storms and system that we're going through. We need to change that. So right. We only right. Okay. Well, again, thank you. I will be talking to you again soon. We are going to do, <clears throat> excuse me, um, for listeners, we will be meeting face, we will be meeting Scott live. Scott, I'm all mixed up. It's after 8 o'clock, and I'm over 40, so. I slow down. Okay, let's start all over. For the audience, we will be meeting Scott Young live on Facebook, Facebook Live, um, hopefully tomorrow. And I just remember while I'm talking that Mr. Young needs our prayers. Not needs them, but it will help. We already know he's protected. He is going to be in surgery on Tuesday. Yes. So we need to have him on on Monday so he can recover on Tuesday. So let's uh, gather around this brother, this powerful brother, and send our prayers up to keep him strong, to bless the surgeons and all the people involved with taking care of him, um, that he will recover and as little pain as possible and come back more powerful than ever. So this is what... We we pray for you, and we'll hopefully we'll see you on Facebook tomorrow. Under Scott Young, is that your Facebook name? Yes, ma'am. Scott Young and Leslie yes, Gis, L E S L E Y Gis. One of our pages. Look for us around eight o'clock tomorrow. Any any time between five and eight, you should be able to meet Mr. Scott Young in person. His spirit is so powerful. You see the little children. You hear them around him. You know that you're around an important and very spiritual person when children gravitate to a, a 
a young man like yourself. So again, thank you for being on my show. Files is not cable. We're wired differently, which means you can get the fastest internet available with equal upload and download speeds from 50 to 500 megs. So you can upload 200 photos before your favorite song is finished. Click the ad and switch to Files today to get our best offer ever. You got a hungry herd, a famished family, a posse to please? Try Dickie's Barbecue Family Packs. Our picnic pack for four people, our six pack for six, and our XL family pack for eight. They include your choice of barbecue meats, new sides, buttery rolls, and barbecue sauce. Order your family packs online at dickies.com, pick them up on the way home, and treat those troops to Dickie's Family Packs. Dickie's, we speak barbecue. 